Welcome to Terror Talk. Before we start the show today, I wanted to give you a heads up about our Patreon community. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a patron and join our Discord community, where we watch film together and chat daily. You also have early access to our episodes and a mini-cast that we do exclusively for Patreon members. Also, check out our new website at terrortalkpodcast.com. Follow along as we build it together. Most of all, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Welcome. <laughs> so today on the show, as part of our female psychopath series, we are going to discuss Girl Interrupted. Um, it's a it's it was a novel. It was a memoir, actually, based on uh, writer Susanna Kaysen's account of her 18 month stay at a mental hospital in the late 1960s. Susanna Kaysen. <laughs> She's imitating one of the nurses. Susanna Kaysen! <laughs> yeah, one of the nurses is straight wild. Um, so this movie, I hadn't watched this in a really long time. And I know that Kathy hadn't either. So we just were talking about that before we started. So I was absolutely staggered by, you know, how many famous people are in this movie that are like massive movie stars now too. So Winona Ryder, Angelina Jolie, uh, Brittany Murphy, Elizabeth Moss. I had totally forgotten Elizabeth and she, Moss. She was, was a little it. kid. She's so great in it. Mm-hmm. Jared Leto. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vanessa Redgrave, Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, there are so many. And then there's a bunch of other, um, Joanna Kern. I mean, there's a bunch of people that you would recognize. Joan Allen was the mom, right? I know. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I guess just in general, let's start with like your overall feelings of the movie. Like I enjoyed watching this movie. I've always loved this movie. Yeah, me too. I, I love this movie. When I saw it in the theater when it came out. Um, obviously, it was like an all-star cast. I think it... I watched it way before I was even in the industry. Oh, I mean, yeah, even me at too. that time, it it sparked a lot of controversy in my head around the way these young women were seen mm-hmm. and just the way mental hospitals and all of that were run at that time. Mm-hmm. The performances are amazing. I miss Brittany Murphy so much. I, I, I mean, she and, and Angelina Jolie, to me, were the knockout performances in this film. Agreed. And I thought that when I first saw it as well. And I, one of the differences for me was, um, Brittany Murphy's performance didn't capture me this time as much as it did the first time. Um, I don't know why, but it's still phenomenal. And I do remember the visceral thoughts and feelings I had about it when I first watched it. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, knowing that she's deceased Mm -hmm. and then the context of this movie and how, how very sick and sad she is in this movie. Uh, Yeah, no, I very much remember being uh, so affected by her the -hmm. first time I saw this. And, and also that was a period of time I think where she was just really breaking out and, um, doing phenomenal work. I always loved her. And um, I, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's Joanna Kearns. That's the mom, not Joe. I think you said Joan Allen or. Oh, was it Joanna Kearns from yeah. Growing Pains? Yeah. I don't know why I saw her face as Joan Allen. No, I mean, they look a they little look bit similar, alike, but yeah. yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, when I just looked it up, cause I'm like, I don't think it's Joan Allen. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I just, for some reason, I didn't think the mom of Growing Pains was in it, but <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. She did a good job then, I guess. She did. Um, 
she played, she was actually, was, although her part was very small, she was very influential. It's a powerful role that she plays in this. Agreed. So as, so because this is part of the female psychopath series for us, I do want to make sure we give a, a, a lot of attention to the character that Angelina Jolie plays, which is Lisa, mm-hmm. because I believe she is the one that, you know, and in movies, this is kind of what happens where, you know, at some points they refer to as a sociopath at sometimes, but she exhibits a lot of behavior of borderline personality. She also, but that's the, that's the diagnosis that Winona Ryder is given, her character is given in this movie, but she also has like psychopathic stuff. So it's a little bit all over the place. We don't ever, I don't think Kathy or I ever expect movies to be, um, you know, diagnostically coherent. No, because if you watch Winona Ryder's character throughout Girl Interrupted in the way that it was portrayed for this film, she doesn't even fit all the criteria for BPD. No, not not in what we're given. No. So, um, but I don't doubt that because this is based on a real person who wrote her real story, that she may ha- she was probably given that diagnosis because we just don't have we don't know how how she was acting before she got to the psych hospital. So, like I'm not I'm not discounting the fact that Susanna got that diagnosis in real life. I'm just saying like in yeah. this movie, like I completely agree with you. Was yeah. when no let's say Winona didn't portray it that way either. Well, I think I mean she has this- a little bit of volatility at a few places, but it's very it's very well substantiated. Well, like, here's my I mean, and maybe this is just a, a way to to bring this back to Lisa but I think when you look at I know we're not spending as much time on Susanna but you know the information that we do have and the way that we watch her parents portray themselves in the initial um, you know assessment and intake at the hospital what we do know is previous to that she is um, manipulated by a friend of the family in about a 10 minute interview where he then decides that it warrants residential treatment um, and so then the film shows you know little snippets of like you know she slept with her English teacher and my first thought is okay, she was young and there's some power and control there. Why are we holding her responsible and deeming her as promiscuous because of that? You know, where in her relationship and concept of self is there instability? There's not enough information there. So is her diagnosis based on the values of that time on the, on, on the family sort of going here, you carry the load. And I do think that we see this with young women coming into themselves. And if somehow they are, outside of the norm or they're acting out in certain ways, we always have some sort of way of either labeling them as crazy or borderline or, uh, you know, Lisa's whole character, we don't even have that much information on. So I'm hesitant to even consider at this point with what, if I was assessing Susanna, I'd be very hesitant to even give her that label because we're not even thinking about trauma or all the other contextual pieces in the information that we don't have. And I think with Lisa, we're, we don't have a lot of information either. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, Susanna's character, even though, you know, it's her memoir and she's the main character or our heroine, um, certainly does not is not portrayed and is not in the writing of the movie that she has BPD. Um, you know, and I'm also aware that with those much star power that was in this movie and as famous as this memoir was, uh, you know, this is very much, you know, one, two, three act, very, very Hollywood sure. driven. And so yeah. they're, they're not going to go into a lot of that. It's, it's very plot driven and all that anyway. Right. So, 
Um, what do you Le- think of Lisa? Lisa, I thought there was a lot of stuff that was represented. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, as like I said in the beginning, like it doesn't go into a cohesive sort of. Right. But here are the things I observed. Like, so the things that they represented or that Angelina represented in the movie was prone to rage, mm-hmm. uh, manic, sexualized, seductive. She's sort of like sexualizing and seducing everyone in the room. Everyone. They have her touch everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they talk about that as like manic behavior because we do see a little bit of her depressed mm-hmm. side as well. Like yep. when she comes back to treatment, that one, you know, yep. the sort of um, catatonic piece of her. Mm-hmm. Highly manipulative, highly intelligent, um, very controlling of mm-hmm. those around her or seeking to control. Um they talk about her being a sociopath. They talk about her having highs and lows, which I think are represented. The emotional volatility is um, an interesting piece that they show several times. And um, didn't know remorse. Uh, and one of the things I thought they do a really good job of in the sort of the second half of the movie, I guess, is more how she enjoys watching other people in pain. Absolutely. There's a couple of things like at the window when she sees Winona like break up with her boyfriend or whatever, where Angelina plays it like satisfaction. She has this look on her face like, hmm. We're re- reading the journal too. Smiling, all of that. Yeah, and then the full second half of the yeah. movie with like Brittany Murphy and all of that. Like you you just see her enjoying when she, other when she, people's pain. I, which I don't, mean, I don't mean to laugh, but it's the, no, this is the quintessential psychopathic comment is when yeah. uh, Winona opens the, you know, Brittany Murphy's hanging there. Sorry for lack of better terms. And yeah, Angelina Brittany walks Murphy's- in and goes, what an idiot. Yeah, that's that her, her reaction. comment. Yeah, like what is she doing? What Even though she was the one that poked her into yeah. it, not that I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think she caused Britney to suicide. I but. love the well. I, this sounds bad when I say love the manipulation, but I love the scene where she goes after Susanna about you have to make me so bad so you come out this perfect like. And and I actually felt there was a genuine part of that is to hurt Winona, but there is this piece of like, everybody needs me to be this so you can all look good. Yeah. And it's interesting on a lot of levels. I thought those speeches towards the end, I, I guess I just took them very differently, certainly than I did when I first watched sure. this because I, because of the context of our profession. But I, it's really interesting because well, when I was sitting there listening to that, I was really seeing her manipulating Winona mm-hmm. to have a perspective to justify her own psychopathic behavior. Mm-hmm. You need me to be this way. Yeah. Like, no, I don't. It was totally, mani- <laughs> it was totally manipulative. No, I don't. You're uh-huh. just trying to give, give an ex- give a reason for like why you behave the way you behave. It's, it was really interesting. And gaslighting. And that whole scene at the end, well, near the end, right? So they're in the basement and, you know, shit's going down and Susanna's just about to get, Winona's character is just about to get out of the hospital and stuff. And so of course, Angelina takes that opportunity to try to blow it up and make everybody hate her and whatever, get some power back, I think, because she's jealous of her leaving. Um, And then there's this big scene where Angelina like says a bunch of stuff and then cries and all of that. And we're, I guess as viewers, we're really supposed to like empathize with her. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't. Here's what mm-hmm. happened. I had seen, because of what we talk about all the time on the show, I had seen all those things that I just listed and her sort of psychopathic behavior. And I didn't believe her. It was crocodile tears. Yeah. And the way Angelina portrayed it, it felt like crocodile tears too. I'm wondering, I, I do wonder if like, 
And then I kept waiting for the moment where she would like smile and joke about because I didn't really remember the end. And it's mm-hmm. like because that wasn't psychopathic behavior, and I don't know. You know, like it, it, it's where the diagnosis like went the off incons- the rails. The inconsistency, the, super inconsistent yeah. for like what that character would be for sure. or know or say. Even that little bit of at the end where she was you're confused or whether that's a genuine attachment to Susanna when they're laying, when she's laying in the bed and she goes to paint her nails yeah. and you see the tears fall. I'm like, yeah. I mean, clearly those tears could be anything, but I felt like what they were trying to portray was she was hiding back the fact that she was sad that Susanna was leaving. Not that she was still there. Yeah. And so what's the motivation behind that? And, and so, yeah, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the way she's portrayed and whether it would actually warrant that diagnosis. But we see a lot of the more overt stuff, For sure. but then it's met with these, like a psychopath wouldn't do that. Yeah. And so, and so this is our profession, like messing with this with, when we watch movies, mm-hmm. <laughs> because there was obviously a time when I watched this movie and I was in it, like I was, Probably, I mean, I don't remember, but I would probably have been like, oh, Angelina really does care about her. And, you know, like I would have just gone. And Winona's gone. being selfish yeah, and all that. I would have just yeah. gone with all. Mm-hmm. So whatever, you know, the filmmakers and the writers are trying to affect and make me right. feel as an audience was worked because right. because I, I would have gone through that. But this sitting was very different for me watching it. I still enjoyed the heck out of it. The performances are great. Um, I really enjoyed the book a million years ago. I don't remember it very well, but yeah, I just looked at her character and I was like, I don't believe anything you're doing right now, which mm-hmm. isn't a great place to sit as a moviegoer. Cause that's right. like a climactic scene where you're supposed to empathize with her. Right. And I was like, yeah, I actually bought the thing where you were a psychopath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bought that part of the story and I'm the crocodile tears are really not working on me right now, which, you know, was different. It was a great performance though. Yeah, so you wanted to, I think get into a little bit more of the other characters, right? Oh, no, I mean, I just I think we talked a little bit about Brittany Murphy's character still does move me. Daisy. Okay. Talk so, a little bit about that maybe. Yeah, I mean, she I think it's because we see the we see the result of a sexually abused child mm-hmm. um, who ends up in some ways being traumatically bonded to her father, who is the alleged abuser in the situation or the abuser in the situation. Um, and what do we see when a child is sexually abused or emotionally or physically abused by a parent? We see them internalizing that shame and then becoming that. And so you see someone who's, um, you know, so conflicted by, anxiety and and inadequacies you know her eating disorder her ocd the cutting all of that in some way daisy's character is provides some comic relief in some you know the when she, she yeah the first I half said, of the movie where everybody's sort of funny and I said all kitchen that. asshole she's like she's really like 50 no she's all through it's and like she's, her favorite word she's so funny which is um, which is really interesting because of her psychology right like yeah. the food in and out yeah there was like a thing there she always wants to talk about asshole i don't know yeah there's a lot there yeah but so there's a part of her character that i i think i just feel um, as much as she's a real pain in the ass, again, the <laughs> asshole, um, yep. I still felt that pain for her. And even when she gets out, how lonely she is Ugh, and the cat and all, I don't know. I still, that still was pulled from me. Yeah. Um, Good. And Polly is, 
oh God, I don't have much to say about Polly other than she was just looking to be loved and accepted and yeah, fit Polly. in. And, and the hospital for her was probably the best life she was ever going to get. Yeah, Polly is Elizabeth Moss's character and they call her Torch because she's been burned. Um, she burned herself. Yeah. Yeah. She's been burned up. And so there's a line in the movie that I think is more amplified in the book, but there's a line in the movie about how her coping skill is to be eternally childlike. Mm -hmm. And that's why the, through the whole movie, she acts like a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, and that that regression is what happened to her with her trauma. Is that the age she was when she burnt herself? Do we know? I don't they know. Say. I don't remember. Yeah. Mm -mm. But she was, uh, she did, also, it was a really good performance, but she pulled that from me too. And how she gets the cat at the end, and how appropriate that is for, you know, where she is developmentally. And I don't know, like, I've, I guess, working with people who have come out of hospitals and, and knowing that some of them intentionally go back because they know it's the best life they'll ever have. Yes. And she gave up on being loved and accepted and all of that so long ago that the hospital she has in some ways embraced as her life she wasn't fighting it like daisy and susanna and and lisa she that was her home and she was safe and comfortable com comfortable there and i think uh and i know that i've worked with clients who that was very true for them outside of the hospital setting they would not have had a quality of life even though the hospital was not ideal it's not ideal to what we think life looks like, right? Or the healthy, a healthy lifestyle or a self-effective autonomous lifestyle right. that we would all, but she's infantilized in that way, right? right? Like eternally childlike means you have to have eternal caregivers. So that that's congruent with like how she's, how she's looking at things. But yeah, I mean, when I worked in crisis, certainly there were kids that I assessed teenagers, mostly that I assessed or young 12, 13, a lot of times in that, in that age group, there would be kids that, you know, they would, they tell you what you need to hear in order to get hospitalized. They become very manipulative, very savvy about going to the hospital. And you know, they're doing that, but you're, you know, ethically and legally bound to execute your, your charge. So, but I would know they would go to see their friends. They would go to, um, be absolved of, of, of the burgeoning, um, you know, adult responsibility that they were starting to get because of their families of origins not being really care. You know, they were, they were going to have to be grownups far faster sure. than the average bear. And so they would fight that to be uh, taken care of at the hospital, which was always, so let's talk about hospitals. <laughs> you know, one of the things I thought about doing was including this movie in a episode about like psych hospital representation, which we might still do at some point, but you and I have both worked in psych hospitals in the current world. And this was not the current world. This is in the 1960s. So we're both aware that things have changed. Yeah. I've worked more in um, like transitional. I haven't worked directly in the okay. hospitals, but I've worked in like conditional lease where they're coming out of the hospitals and I've done evaluations in the state hospitals. So I've certainly visited. Sure. I've certainly spent some time in there. Yeah. Okay. So um, I mean, before we started recording, I know you had mentioned that like you had a lot to say about the, <laughs> the psych hospital mm. aspect of this. I don't know where we want to start. But. I think just if we want to take this back to her assessment, like, sure. uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. First of all, let's look at how she was referred by a family member. Totally. On, I mean, by a friend of the family. 
This guy who's been right. out of practice <laughs> and doing a, he even says, you know, I'm doing a favor for your parents and you're upsetting a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, right? So there's that. So there's a scene where it's a flashback. They use flashbacks in the beginning of this movie. And what you're seeing is her being a, a Winona's character, Susanna, being upset, assessed by whatever, a retired friend of the family, whatever person that should not be assessing her, not objective, sitting on a porch. And mom's packing the car outside he even says at one point, like, your mother and I have already spoken about this. Yeah, I mean... Like, what? And here... so What he, am I, five years old? And you're sending... You know, like, huh? And I know clients who have gone to hospitals that way where the parents think they're doing the child the favor by not having that conversation. The next thing they know, they're on and their way. And she's not a child, but yes. Yeah, and she's not a child. <laughs> she's definitely not a child. Crazy. So, um, teenagers, whatever those was what, what I was referring to, not like mm-hmm. little guys. And so there's no conversation around that because the parents know that if there is, she's going to react this way. Well, because they're trying to get her to do a voluntary. Right. So no autonomy, totally manipulated. And then she gets there. And I can't remember if she's in the room at this point, but when they're talking to the, psych- the psychologist um, from Transparent, I forgot his name, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Sambor or whatever. Sure. Um, which ironically, here's a side note, they call him, they, they refer to him as basically being uh, someone who sexually harasses and assaults people in the hospital. Yeah. And, you know, that's how he lost his job on Transparent. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was kind of ironic. But anyway, he, you know, he starts to talk to them about, well, borderline personality disorder is usually genetic and uh one of the parents and whatever and the the mom like you know clasping her pearls like we could not have caused this and again just that emphasis on not looking at anything from a systemic place let's put all the symptoms on her let's make her the problem you fix her and send us back to to us okay and so then there are psychologists psychiatrists clinicians who will then run with that narrative because somehow they they think if they run with that narrative they'll please the parents they'll be able to keep them in the hospital you know there's money making involved in all that there's politics involved in all that and also if we focus on one person rather than the system for many people it's like well i can fix that the whole system that's too much for me to think about so the client ends up getting objectified in that way because we're not looking at the evaluation of this person from a systemic point of view. We're just putting all the symptoms and all the burden on her with no formal evaluation, not a lot of information. The parents going, she's crazy. Our friend said so. Now she's here and they go, okay, she has borderline. That's what it felt like to me. That is absolutely how it was represented. That's, that's absolutely true. And and it's, and it's not that that doesn't happen because it does. It does. It absolutely does. And so we, we bopped around to a few different scenes and what you were saying, but the like assessment scene on the porch or whatever that I described was, um, so having done crisis assessments, there's the, the be, having somebody go on to, uh, in this country, a 5150 or 72 hour hold is an involuntary commitment meaning I go, I or myself or someone with, you have to have hold privileges, by the way, not your random therapist can uh, put you on an involuntary hold. You have to be trained by the county that you're in and you have to um, have, be given by the courts hold privileges. So when I was doing crisis assessments, I had gone through my courses and everything and like my name is on that 
like very official document that goes to the judge and the judge signs it. So it's like you have hold privileges. So, so I just want to provide that context for people who, who may not know is that when uh, police officers also have hold privileges. So like police officers, certain doctors in certain hospitals, et cetera. So not just any doctor, not just any therapist can do that. So that's an in involuntary hold when we deem that you are a danger to yourself or others are gravely disabled. What they were trying to do and why it was so manipulative is because they were trying to get Winona to go in on a voluntary hold. And that that's amplified in through the rest of the thing because at one point she tries to get out of the hot. She says, I check myself in. I can check myself out. And she's like, no. So this is an, another important like plot point <laughs> that I want to amplify for the for crisis work is that, okay, so I agree that I'm having a difficult time and I'm going to go into a psychiatric facility for on an involuntary hold, meaning of my own volition. I need help. I'm here on an involuntary hold. I just want everyone to know that and what is stated in this movie is that once you do that, you are putting, even though it was involuntary, I mean, uh, voluntary, and you went in of your own volition, once you are in the care of those doctors, they have an ethical and legal responsibility to not release you until they see fit. Mm -hmm. So this is how a lot of like this movie lots of other psych hospital representation movies um, talk about this because I don't think a lot of people realize that like, no, you're not just there for a rest. Right. <laughs> you, you go in and you get assessed. You're, you're civilly committed. You're civilly committed. Even if you win of your own volition. So, and what you can go in for, you can then be held for a different reason if they assess it. That's right. Like if I'm sitting there and I'm the person that's assessing you, which you know you or me would be working in the psych hospital, would be one of the people. Most likely the psychiatrist is the person that's signing off on that, not the psychologist. So, you know, they, you, you get in there and they decide that, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever's happening, that you have BPD, which is highly untreatable in a lot of those kinds of settings. Yep. You're there for a very, very long time. Yep. Or they deem that you're a sociopath or a psychopath like they do with Lisa, you know, whatever, like uh, those aren't diagnosed, but like they give you. Yeah. Those then prove you're not dangerous or prove you're not dangerous. So any social, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. like, okay, now prove that you're not going to leave and kill someone and all this emotional volatility that you have on the ward. That's not helping us. And this <laughs> is why the whole, you know, um, there's a lot of misinformation around the insanity plea. It's not always your best choice because you get a sentence, you serve it, you're done. You get the insanity plea, you go in, they could keep you indefinitely. It's not always the best case scenario. You might have more of a cush spot to a certain degree as far as where you live, but you may never leave there. Yeah, I can see very much how um, it becomes something that, that people want to manipulate the system for because they realize they're going to be in prison for the rest of their lives. And so they're just trying to get a better yeah. bed. But if you're, if that's not the if case, you have a smaller sentence, like, and, and you, you don't just, want that, you don't, you definitely don't want that, but that's also how people manipulate the system. Right. It's not really based on what you need or want. It's based on need or, or can right. sustain. It's based on what you want to manipulate the system to get. Right. Which I always think is interesting. Um, but yeah, yeah, this hospital had a lot of sort of 
egregious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> first of all, let's go slightly lighter first, and then maybe you'll mention a couple of the things that you saw in the psych hospital that felt um, completely unethical. But uh, there are no cats on the psych ward. They have yeah. a cat that uh, gets brought in because it was Brittany Murphy's cat and she hangs herself. And so the uh, Winona brings the cat back to the ward. And then there's this really touching moment at the end where she gives uh, Elizabeth Moss's character the cat to take care of. The whole time I'm like, no. Even Tambor says when they get back to the hospital, we should probably get a litter box. What psychiatrist <laughs> would say that? And I, at first I remember thinking, that's awesome. And then I go, that's so fucking unrealistic. No, because, and I'll tell you why. Half of those people would kill that cat. Yes. So there are no animals on the psych ward. <laughs> Lisa I mean, being one lovely, of them. It, exactly. Yeah. It's a lovely um, Hutch, Hollywood like touch to the. Yeah. It's just like such a Hollywood convention that, and I, and like I said, I don't remember the book very well, unfortunately, but like maybe they had a cat in the 1960s in a psych ward. Like what? No way. No way. Like no way. No way. Anyway, that was the one of the lighter things I thought like, oh, this is so Hollywood. There's this animal and it's this beautiful like Russian blue, right? Like yeah. it's oh, gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no. That cuz I mean, I have and I know you have, but I have worked with clients on a weekly basis who have killed and frozen their cat and put it in the freezer because mm-hmm. they thought it was possessed by aliens. Mm-hmm. So like no. Yeah, that's not happening. Right. Yeah. What else? In that hospital. Um, so there were, of, where, let's see. I mean, there's meds, there's. There's meds. I'm trying to think of some, just, you know, I do, I did like at least the way that they portrayed Whoopi Goldberg's character, Val, the nurse. Yeah. Because I do think that there are, for as many people as there might be like, you know, the doctors that didn't care and didn't listen, there are always going to be a couple who do get it and, and do have, that tough love, but empathy there. Um, I loved the, the exchanges between Val and Susanna, the whole bathtub scene. Oh my gosh. You know, where she says, you know, do you have somebody watch you? Or she's like, please, I live with three kids in a one bedroom. Or she says something like Everybody that. Everybody has and, watched me shave my legs. Right. And just the, yeah. the, hum- the humanity, um, even though Susanna was trying to ruin that relationship by saying racist things. And I love when she says, uh, because she thinks I'm offended by that when, and I forget that actress's name. She's was in a bunch of stuff in I the nineties is singing there's that another, song. So there's another character that says, starts singing um, like racist songs yeah, just to get under Whoopi's skin. And Whoopi does like a little bit of an aside to Susanna, like she thinks that bothers me. But then later there's a callback to that when they're actually very much arguing and uh, Winona's character is very angry and she says some, um, much more pointed racist things to Whoopi to to hurt her. Angela later. Angela Bettis. That was her. She was in a bunch of stuff in the nineties. She yeah. is that character. Um, so yeah, I, I did like that they showed. You know, there is some humanity in there, and they showed because it's it isn't all or nothing. Um, no, I definitely knew Whoopi's like that yeah. character. I mean, I was that character sometimes when I have worked in those mm-hmm. environments where. I, I can honestly say I connected with clients and really tried to encourage and coach and motivate and, and be an inspiration and direct them back to themselves. And, and, and at one moment she even says like, it's so great that you're opening up to me, but you really need to tell your doctors because yes. I'm, I'm, 
I'm just here to support you on a day to day. I'm like the life skills coach here, right. but you know, and, and I really appreciated and was interested in, um, which I completely forgot obviously because of context. There's a, there's a little bit of a theme or a through line or an idea, core belief and idea that they talk about, which is, uh, and Lisa's character derides, of course, is that, you know, you have to tell all your stories and be emotionally vulnerable in order to get out of the psych hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just, um, you can't be resistant and avoidant mm -hmm. and get out. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is true. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that is very true. And, and because, beca and I also know that's true with addiction treatment as well. Yep. Uh, no one will recommend you leave a psych hospital or addiction treatment if you refuse to talk about your issues and make no verbal. That, and I say that for a reason, because not everybody can be verbally, emotionally vulnerable. Um, to be verbally vulnerable with among your peers and groups and with your therapists and doctors, if you don't do that, you don't get out. So highly manipulative personalities learn to do that. Yeah in order to get out. And we see that over and over again in true crime stuff. And they'll overcorrect. They're more obvious because then it, it just becomes like people who really struggle with that and they really want to do the work. It's not so polished. Nope. But when people are just doing it to get out, it's incredibly polished and, oh man, the remorse is just pouring out. And it's like, you all know, of a sudden, even with people who have empathy, it, it, the shame and stuff that's there, it takes a while to really unpack that. But sociopaths are really good at just being like, I'm going to be the best at that in the room, mm -hmm. you know? And it's just so obvious. They try to excel. At, they try to excel at, at, at it. At yeah. The narcissists and the sociopaths yeah. will try to excel at, at confession. confession. And you know what? Yeah. The, as we're talking about this, what I'm what I'm flashing on is the movie Shawshank Redemption and mm. Morgan Freeman and coming up to the parole board every time. Yeah. In that movie. Oh God. Right. Yes. And so and so and so let me just create this quick analogy. Is the reason why I thought of that is because the first three or four times you see Morgan Freeman's character go to the parole board, he's like, "I'm a changed man. I'm great. I do this. I do that." Sort of like someone would say if they were just sort of like rehearsing a speech. He's also he's also very hopeless and we. You know that's why he's doing that but then when he does eventually get out it's because he says i'm not really sure like i've been working hard and you know i don't i don't feel like i would but it's more the dialectic he embraces the dialectic and i think that's one of the things that we see in people who are very who are really grappling with what you're talking about like if you're really grappling it's more about self-reflection it's more yeah. about i I'm a little lost. I'm confused. Yep. So being in the gray, being in the unknowing is really actually what we're looking well, for. And that's why that's humanity. Absolutely. <laughs> and people who are charming and overly polished are, I mean, just screams narcissism because it's just not how it's empty. It's empty. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed watching this movie. Me too. I forgot how good it was. Yeah, I'm so glad. So thanks everybody for engaging in our female psychopath series. It does seem to be something that y'all enjoy. If there's any movie you want us to tackle or thing, any topics you want us to go with, please do not hesitate to hit us up on social media. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. 
Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.